All right. Uh, welcome to the first ever episode of The Lost Guardsman with myself, Roger, and my good friend, Colm. How are you doing today, Colm? Are you well? Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> Great start speaking over each other. Very good. Right. Um, so, Roger, this is The Lost Guardsman, and we are going to be two Lost Guardsmen mulling our way through the lore of uh, the Warhammer 40k universe, uh, <laughs> along with some of the other um, universes in the Games Workshop IP. But not restricting ourselves to that either. Um, but that would be our kind of main focus, I guess, because there's so much. So um, You're start me. off as as our main lost guardsman uh, or the most lost of us, I guess. Uh, what's your experience of Warhammer 40,000? Yeah, I, I suppose, and to kind of even step a little bit further back, I suppose the reason this podcast started was because myself and yourself have been friends for, I was trying to think of it like, it's it's over a decade. Is it is it fifteen years maybe more? Yeah. What age are we now? Thirty seven, thirty eight. Let's not publicize that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, you know we've both been massive nerds up until now, uh, um, our entire lives. But we, through our friendship, realized that you know we both have this uh, um, interest in Warhammer forty k. But this, I'm I'm always fascinated by your depth of knowledge and i know your question was like you know what's my experience with it it's always been sort of outside i'd walk past you know run past the games works workshop games game what's the, what's the name of the shop again now now they've simplified it and they just call it warhammer warhammer okay <laughs> um never into the tabletops but i've always been fascinated with the games the lore the books things like that and through our friendship you sort of introduced me to more and more and 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 games within that but I was always fascinated by the fact that, you know, you've been immersed in this world since you were what age? Like 10? Say about 12, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, good we, 15 years, like you were saying. Yeah. And, and we... Or 25, sorry. 25, yeah. 15 is us. 25 is you in total. <laughs> uh, but I suppose the, the idea for this podcast sort of came up as, well, first of all, we, we don't speak often enough, in my opinion. And I thought, well, let's, 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 uh, we need to... What's the right word I'm looking for? We remedy need to that. Remedy, that's the word I'm looking for. And I thought, like, why not, you know, go down the line of something we both are passionate about, we both like about, but that we could use it as a learning experience because my biggest sort of, I won't say it's a criticism of 40K, but, it, it you know, it, it's hard to get into 40K now, I feel, as a, as a newcomer, because you're, you're jumping in midstream to something that's been around. Like, you were 12 at the time, so what did that put, 1997? 1998 potentially yeah about that 98 99 i think yeah uh, and and like tell me this how long has the 40k universe or warhammer as a you know a business as a company as a universe existed at that point well i know that um games workshop started like in the 70s as a mm. company that had exclusive rights for miniatures for dungeons and dragons they were kind of mm. like the uk miniature makers and their magazine white dwarf was originally like a general hobby magazine with lots of different games and mm. they, they were quite literally a games workshop they kind of yeah. made things but for other ips okay. and then during the 80s they started to develop like um for some of the models they were making decided to want to make a war game and that's where they came up with warhammer mm. and that was a fantasy setting and then um they came up with a uh, sci-fi futuristic um 
dystopian setting and they call it rogue trader but then rogue trader would eventually become uh, warhammer 40,000 okay and like it's funny um one of the biggest um f- fictional lore settings is not actually 40,000 but 30,000 the era of the horus heresy which mm. is sort of like the mythos of yeah. 40,000 setting yeah and like I've been reading all the Horace Heresy novels. I'm finally into the the final series that wraps it all up, which is called The Siege of Terror. Mm. And uh, the whole Horace Heresy thing actually was like, it was one comment in one of those Rogue Trader rule books back in the time. There's like a mention mm. of the mm. Horace Heresy. Mm. And it just blew up in the last 30 years or so into this like really detailed well-written intricate setting and it's yeah one of my favorite things yeah and and, and i by knowing you i know that's one of your favorite things because i think <laughs> even when we're not talking about warhammer you reference the horus heresy <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and i think as i said I've, I've always had this sort of tangential uh, um, interest alongside you but never almost been afraid to get involved because i thought like i'd lose my life to it because it's it is just there's so much there and there's so much um to know and learn and when we talk you reference things that i immediately like take us away from the conversation because you'll reference you know a chapter of the space marines or you'll reference you know a a, a thing that happened ten thousand years prior that you know that's why you needed context in there so kind of to bring it back to the original point is that the reason this podcast exists is because i wanted to explore this more and having you as this like historian, you are actually a qualified history, you know, history teacher, but you have this wealth of knowledge around the, the 40K universe as well. And I thought like, I'm gonna take away, go away and learn about something, you know, in the 40K universe and come back to you and maybe ask you questions and potentially our audience can hopefully be either people like yourself who like thinks, oh, here's Roger, he's an absolute idiot. He doesn't know any of this or somebody like me who's likes the 40k loves sci-fi loves grim dark fantasy and 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 wants to kind of learn a bit more so i'm hoping we yeah. kind of hit both ends of the spectrum yeah and and i think when when you think back to um when we both played the card game conquest and we, mm. that was our first foray many moons ago into mm. the world of uh, podcasting and yeah. um, at the time you were the games mechanics expert mm. um with your own wealth of knowledge. And of course, um, some of our listeners would know you from uh, Hearthstone as like, <laughs> a, 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 guru, a guru of that, that particular game. But um, like, I would find that um, when I was talking about the lore during our Conquest uh, podcast, mm. um, some of the lore ends up being retconned and things like that. So mm. I remember thing we talked about was like um, the 13th black crusade of abaddon the spoiler mm. and attacking the eye from the eye of terror attacking the planet world of cadia and i explained how he'd been defeated multiple times but then what actually turned out and was one of our listeners and one of our friends sam he had said to us and um, he said to me afterwards well you know that's changed now he didn't fail with his previous invasions he actually had ulterior motives that the imperium weren't aware of so the overall invasion was just a cover for what his real objective was and he achieved those every time and i was like mm. oh okay that's cool so like yeah. again 
what I say to you, and you you credit me too much for being an expert. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a super fan, but yeah. I could I, I definitely could stand to be corrected on certain things. And sure. um, yeah, but I mean, one of the beautiful things about the whole setting is that it's, I suppose, what you find daunting is also the glory of it because it's a game setting first and foremost. Yeah, and because it's so open and there's so much potential, there's so many planets, there's so many characters, there's so many different races and everything else. Mm. It's like a sandbox that you can mm. create your own narrative experience. You can follow the kind of written lore, but you can also make up your own. And I think that's yeah. what appeals to a lot of people as well. So, like, yeah. there is the established lore, but there's also the potential mm. that you know you could have your rogue trader commanding his own and mm. starship exploring a new planet and uncovering an alien menace that you know it could be a race that we're familiar with but the particular leader mm. of the, those aliens might be something of your own creation so be yeah. it an orc or a necron or the tyranids who we might be talking about later today sure. yeah. like take me take me back to 12 year old column and like where where did you discover this universe where did you discover how did you discover this game this you like it was the tabletop game that you discovered first would that be fair to say or were there books yeah absolutely so i think when i was in primary school i like one or two classmates have brought in these like cool little figures before and there was a guy michael in my class and he had brought in like what i now know as a blood angel space marine Mm. But I thought this little model was so cool. Like, I used to love soldiers and action figures and all that sort of yeah. stuff anyway. So yeah. when he brought in this, like, little space marine, he had, like, some cat- catalogue. And I can think back, there was a diorama in that catalogue, which is one of the most iconic scenes in the whole setting, which was mm. the emperor facing off against the arch traitor horse. And mm. uh, there was, like, someone had modelled it. And they had modelled um, slain Primarch of the Blood Angels, Sanguinius. And I didn't know what any of this was. I just thought it looked so cool. And he's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. He goes, like, you know, that's, he goes, that's, that's my older brother's, like, you know, and I had to be really precious with this model. And uh, yeah, it yeah. was one of the real basic space marines, like, from the 90s. They, they kind of came free with paint sets. They're just like, you know... Uh, a, a soldier standing to attention with the bolt gun just flat across his chest and he's staring forward like when you think of how dynamic all the models are now and how mm. far they've come it was so simple mm. and you'd still see a statue of that type of space marine outside games workshops headquarters in nottingham in england mm. so seeing that like basic pose of a model of a real simplistic model and thinking it was so cool at the time that's where i first got hooked and then me and a friend, um, a friend who you know as well, Kieran Lawler, he used mm. to um, come up to my house and we used to get you. Well, Kieran mightn't want to be name checked in this podcast. He'll <laughs> <laughs> uh, deny he ever knew either of us now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, Kieran um, used to come up to my house and we had all those, um, you know, those plastic green soldier army sets. And yeah. I had one of those from, oh, god knows what age maybe eight years old with like yeah. loads of green sort of american soldiers and loads of gray german soldiers yeah and i remember we used to love playing with the models but it used to annoy me that you could get into a fight with your friend as a child going no i shot you first no i shot you first yeah so we yeah. actually started designing rules ourselves um, oh wow so came, came up with like this idea that um 
uh, a machine gun was a 12 foot ruler but could shoot three times and a rifle was twice the length but could only shoot once and you start pushing army soldiers around and yeah. i don't even think we used dice at first it's basically if you got into range you killed you didn't want to introduce like crippling like pain by introducing <laughs> dice afterwards is that right but this is it it was very um it was very bloody i'm sure it was imbalanced as hell um uh i don't i think it may i may have had a subconscious bias in making the americans more powerful than the germans because uh, <laughs> in a world war ii setting they were seen yeah. as good guys um absolutely so, yeah so that that kind of that was kind of what happened but i then one day a neighbor um of my parents had their grandson over and he was like just maybe two or three years younger than me but he came over to hang out one day and I said do you want to play this with me and my friend he goes oh this is like Warhammer and I was like oh what's Warhammer and he showed me like um a little kind of free two-page catalog of Warhammer 40,000 third edition very famous art cover work by John Blanche of the um Black Templar Space Marines kind of like uh, so, sort of fighting off a hill against an unseen enemy in the distance mm. but it's real mm grim dark everything's um john blanche is regarded as one of the best kind of sci-fi artists and he kind of okay. has he's like the, the godfather of the grim dark style and yeah. it's really iconic third edition cover art for the box and um this guy tom basically was showing me and said i have these and i was like i want to get into this so <laughs> and, that, and that's tens of thousands of euro later here we are Tom. <laughs> yeah so that was that was how it started and then that's amazing yeah and um Mordine, which i'll mention a bit more about later was i got my friend kieran down the road and another guy ross um and uh we we got the first Mordine set so that would have been 99 2000 mm. and we played like a little mini campaign of that and we we're kind of like reading through the rules and stuff but I, I it all kind of took off really quickly because then there was a guy who started a games club in Mullingar my hometown and uh, a guy called Glenn he worked in the he was like a cleaner or something in the um local shopping center and some mm -hmm. of the units hadn't been taken over by stores yet so he used to run a games club out of some of the abandoned units or not abandoned but just unused yeah. units well, and so there was, there was, yeah, there was a glorious time when I was about 13, 14 for about a year where we had this like Warhammer club and I was discovering like new rules, new armies. I was a shocking player. Um, my paint, well, my painting abilities were very basic. You know, I thought you just slab it on heavy and uh, yeah. it'll make it stick. And now everyone knows, particularly thanks to Duncan Rhodes, um, two thin coats is the way to go. Um, <laughs> I'm sure so, some yeah. of our audience will get that reference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, if, if, if you're ever on YouTube, there's a guy called Duncan Rhodes and he used to do like the paint tutorials for Games Workshop before he set out and started his own YouTube channel. Yeah. And like his, he kind of created the catchphrase of two thin coats and um, uh, okay. probably hard for an Irish person to say it properly because the PH <laughs> is uh, it's yeah, not too yeah. thin codes it's too thin yeah. codes yeah. but um yeah that's um he's a really popular YouTuber and um, Games Workshop were kind of disappointed yeah. to lose him I guess but um he yeah. has his own channel now he's a great um 
kind of teacher of painting techniques and amazing uh, comes across a really nice guy so yeah, yeah. so that's how it all well, started like 25 yeah, years ago yeah. that's crazy like and and you know because you've had this has been such a big part of you and then i think for myself i suppose warhammer 40k was more through computer games than than the tabletop for me like i i um, I still say Dawn of War 2 is my favorite ever game. Mm. Um, and I've, I've yet to find a game like it where it's a real-time strategy, but you only control a certain number of squads. And each squad then between missions, you can give jump packs to one mission and maybe give them sniper rifles in the next mission. And maybe, you know, you turn them into the different types of space marines. And then between yeah. myself and yourself, I, I remember I bought an Eldar army at one point to kind of, I tried, I wanted to dabble in tabletop, but the painting side was always a piece for me that I was like, I'm not craftsy and I, and I just had no interest. So I think I went on eBay and I, I, I messaged you a few times at the time. I was like, Hey, are these guys good? Are these, you know, the Harlequins and, you know, yeah. and all these different unit types and Eldar, I really like, and we've had this conversation outside of 40 K, but I always love. To, to role play as like monsters or non-human type creatures yeah. and it'll it kind of moves into the topic of this specific the focus for this specific podcast being the tyranids but through uh, um through the computer games through the the tabletop and then later as you, you alluded to we had a previous podcast around the great uh, uh living card game um conquest, conquest and yeah. We, you know, the Tyranids, I think, became one of my favorite uh, factions as well. But we wanted mm. to use this. Uh, um, and that, that's sort of where my background of 40K is. But And then you've also recommended books to me in the past. So I have this like mm. real surface level. But like anything, you, you start reading about one part of the lore. And inevitably, you mention five or six new words that you understand our English, but you don't know what they are. It's like, yeah. uh, I'm trying to, it's, it's you know, okay, this, you know, yeah, it's really uh, this huge ocean. And anyway, we wanted to kind of pick a focus. So today um, we're going to chat a little bit about the Tyranids. Now I went away and I'll be honest with you, I do have the Wikipedia page open in front of me right now, but I had a good scan to it earlier on. And I suppose I wanted to talk a little bit about my knowledge of this really cool race or uh, um, faction of like hive mind insect monsters that are just this dark i can't remember the exact phrase but shadow uh you yes. know on on the on the universe shadow uh, in the war okay shadow in the war yes and this and and, and like I, I do know this i don't even have to look it up so that shadow in the warp if i remember correctly is is kind of like a clouding of psychic energy or something am i right in saying that, right. that that like people you know the psychic energy in in a particular world will kind of almost be like blacked out so to speak yeah and, the people so, will fear and dread and stuff like that. Am, so, am, so I, am way, I on the right track? Yeah. There? yeah. So, so the way that like humanity maintains a massive imperium across the whole galaxy is by using this uh, um, alternate dimension called the warp. And yeah. uh, by entering ships into warp travel, they go through this. Basically, it's a dimension of pure chaotic energy. Now, full of demonic entities and stuff that that's for another time but um the whole interconnectivity of the human imperium is kept by the emperor's psychic light acting like a beacon to planets even the other side of the galaxy that they can kind of get an idea of where terra is and work mm. their travel direction or their uh, trajectory yeah. off that but it's also 
like psychic messages or broadcasts are sent out from one planet to another and it's how communications kept up but it's also how like uh, a certain system will call for aid when they're under attack mm. for reinforcements okay. but as you said the shadow and the war blankets that out and yeah. no help is coming uh, and this is it and, and i think inhabitants of those planets like it, sorry I, i'm kind of i have so much info in my head right now and i'm just trying to spew it all out but as i understand that the, the tyranids we don't even know where they've come from we're not even sure if they're running from some other big bad. Like that's another yeah. theory I've heard that, that like they're actually fleeing from something that's even worse than them. And but, if that's like, true, that's horrifying. Yeah. Well, this is it. Tyranids, like as a concept, like you think about them as a concept, are just horrifying. Like they're just the inevitable. Like they will destroy yeah. you. It's just a matter of time. And and Absolutely. and and they heart like they what is it? They use the sort of biological energy that they sort of consume when they infest a planet to kind of grow and evolve their yeah. own species yeah. that they, they sort of incorporate uh, and that technology or that biological knowledge to improve yeah. themselves it's called hyper adaptation so, so like they just get better and stronger and smarter and 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 it's I think what kind of draws me to them as a race in terms of like being the most interest not the most interesting but one of the most interesting races and playing against them in games like you've seen that kind of swarm mechanic i want to use say is maybe not the right word but like yeah. they do it so well oh, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you have yeah. so many types in within the tyranid uh, um sort of species yeah. and i think one of the things that makes them really cool as well is the fact that when you get to play against them and you get like a massive big machine gun you just get to mow down thousands of them in one go <laughs> But it doesn't matter because they just keep coming and you, you can't stop yeah. them. Um, yeah. Uh, so have you um, have you learned about like the Imperium's first contact with the Tyranids or why they're even... Oh, that's a good question. Yes, uh, so I was hoping we would get into like questions and you could quiz me. So I understand, so I remember again, I'll be honest with you, I wish I had spent like a weeks doing this, but I've spent about an hour researching the Tyranids. So the wiki page <laughs> goes on for thousands and thousands. But... As I understand it, there has been, I think, it, was it the 35th century or the 35th? Maybe, I can never remember. Like, we're in the 41st millennium. century right now, isn't that? 41st, um, yeah, millennium, yeah, that's right. Millennium, I, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I feel like there was records, and, and I saw reference to a, um, a planet, a frozen planet, where they were actually frozen in the planet themselves, and only through... I think another, I, I can try to remember, they were actually like discovered inside a planet leading us to believe that they had been crash landed there long before the 41st millennium. Yeah. Does that sound familiar to you or am I so, talking? So crazy? yeah, there's a few references to them, even going back to the horse heresy. So they are something that they're a recently new phenomenon in the, that they're current to the 41st millennium to Warhammer 40,000. Yeah. But there is even like, um, a reference to a planet called murder um during the horse mm. heresy where like the blood angels are trying to um colonize this planet on behalf of the imperium and they just meet this kind of ferocious kind of um xenos um force that's like hyper adaptive and is giving the blood angels a really hard time and other legions come in to help them now normally a fraction of a legion 
back in, of the Space Marine Legion back in the Horus Heresy days, or the days of, well, before the heresy itself, during the Great Crusade across the stars, like a fraction of a legion would shatter an entire system and overcome any military opposition. So the fact that the Blood Angels are having trouble with like this one planet is a cause for concern. So they actually bring in like the Emperor's children and um, the Lunar Wolves, who would eventually become the Sons of Horus. And like they're still finding it really difficult to suppress this one Xeno species. And they end up quarantining that whole area, uh, that system around this planet of murder. And so there's no kind of, they're never called Tyranids at this point. And I'm mm. purely speculating that they're Tyranids. But when you read them, you're mm. thinking, these are Tyranids. Mm. Um, yeah. And there's other examples like... Um, there's a really cool um, regiment of the Imperial Guard or Astra Militarum called the Catechins, and they come from like a jungle death world where basically everything's trying to eat you. And mm. uh, the only value that the Imperial gets <laughs> Why would from... anyone live on something called a death world? <laughs> yeah, so, so this is it. Like uh, Because there's so many planets in the galaxy, um, the Imperium... Mm controls all these plants for different reasons some of them you get valuable resources from them uh, and yeah. some of them you get like rare ores and metals and things like that some of them have like strategic value for where they are some of them are near stable routes through the warp it's like they're there they can be stable jumping points to go through warp travel mm-hmm. but catechin the only thing that's of value for it is the regiments of Imperial Guard who come from there because they are so mm. tough from growing mm. up on that planet where the like mm. life expectancy of normal humans is 10 years old um, because uh, everything's trying to eat you or strangle yeah. you. Even, even the, the, the flora is lethal. But there's yeah. one particularly dangerous beast on this planet called the Catechin Devil. Mm. And again, there's like fan theory that the Catechin Devil is actually some sort of subspecies of Tyranid that just kind of okay. landed on the planet and they yeah. didn't conquer it, a full-scale invasion but this sure. uh this particular uh spe- subspecies has developed into like the apex predator on catechin mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, didn't go any further so there are lots of examples like that but the very first kind of documented contact is on a planet called tyron which is why they're called the tyranids and, oh uh, so the adaptive like, mechanics yeah, so the Adeptus, Mechan- the Adeptus Mechanicus are the kind of um, the worshippers of the machine god from Mars. So they kind of like the whole strength of humanity is based on the emperor on Terra and his alliance mm. with the, the cults of the machine god on uh, Mars. Mm. And there's kind of like the, the, the tech priests kind of identified that the emperor is the manifestation of the machine god right so that's okay, why they have this kind okay. of alliance but it's also yeah, because yeah. the emperor needs their technology and yeah, they yeah. need to be let do their thing sure. without being conquered yeah. so they work together but they like they act as the kind of you know vanguard of the you know they discover things they kind of uh, uh, bring out they can actually change the atmosphere on planets to make it inhabitable mm. and all this okay. so they, they they usually send out these explorator feet uh, sorry explorator fleets to like you know find new planets see if they support human life settle on them sure. and so they're on this place called tyran and they've got like you know some bodyguard soldiers with them and everything else and next thing all these gribblies start jumping out of 
nowhere and start fighting them and attacking them <laughs> and they're, they're yeah. fighting off wave after wave after wave of these uh tyranids mm. um mm. from tyran but um uh, it's all to no avail and despite their calls for aid they eventually get overcome and it's actually years later that an inquisitor finds the kind of um the the data um mm. records that show that they were like consumed or attacked by uh, this mysterious species and so at the time it's considered that there may be like something that's um, local to that area of space but the truth would eventually be much more horrific and, and that's the thing isn't it they kind of like black out the history of what's after happening in that in that yeah. area so like like you said i think it takes a long time for people to actually realize what happened and why why yeah. these planets get eradicated so, yeah so when when the tyranids do conquer a planet and this and what's most terrifying about them is they basically flow through space on these giant living spaceships they're like just enormous creatures themselves and when oh that can i ask you a question on that yeah. thing because that, that's something that I, I i did want to dive into like yes they're they're actual methods of of flying through space like because they've come yeah. from beyond our galaxy beyond yeah. the milky way and it's like well how do a load of insect monsters travel through space if they don't have technology but they have yeah. these like what are they called hive fleets that hive are fleet, yeah yeah they're essentially these like biomechanical yeah giant living yeah, basically they're giant living creatures that are bigger than most mm. like um artificially constructed spaceships like they dwarf mm. them in size yeah and they're these like they're like giant crustaceans with big tentacles floating through space. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like a man of war jellyfish kind of thing shape yeah thing. Yeah. yeah absolutely yeah. and that's why um when they recognize the scale of the threat and realize how many they are, they start mm. giving uh, sort of these identifying um, code names to the different high fleets. And the first mm. invasion is called High Fleet Behemoth. Mm. And who's they know? This is the spe- this is the, the this Imperium. Is the, this is what the Imperium calls yeah. the different sort of. So when they realize this isn't just like local to one planet and they realize Mm. that there's like a giant tendril of all these giant um uh space um hive ships i suppose um but like i said picture a giant crustacean or a sea monster of like Mm. ancient myth like they they are um floating through space and when they get to a planet they basically spore off smaller creatures who in mm. turn spore off smaller creatures again. And yeah. they, they usually have this sort of like um, Nexus queen on board. Mm. That's like mm. basically the mother that's spawning all these other creatures and stuff. But uh, there's a lot of horrific sort of uh, consumption of biomass. So when they, yeah. when, when they devour and when they um, kill all opposition in a particular planet, they start to absorb every bit of um, a biological material right down mm. to like the water, the atmosphere, the air, yeah. and everything gets absorbed. So any losses that they incurred while invading the planet is restored because they consume everything. Oh yeah, I didn't think about that. So like, yeah, they're literally, I, I knew, I know that they strip planets and that's essentially what their their whole function is. Yeah. Um, as far as we understand that's 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 what they do. But 
we don't really know why they do it. Is that is that is that correct? So, it's more just yes. they're moving through space for a reason, and so the core... reason is to consume. Yeah, and that's why the code name for them, or one of the kind of nicknames for them, I guess, is the Great Devourer. Yeah, because like what makes them terrifying is there is no negotiation with the Tyranids. Mm. They don't have mm. any sort of um, sentience that humanity can engage with. It's literally mm. this giant fleet of griblies and monsters that are just yeah. attacking planet after planet, stripping it down to its bare rock and then moving on to the next one. And I there, guess... A... Yeah, go ahead. No, I just there's a, there was a quote I had, and it's again, it's I'm gonna be very upfront when I thought it's it's in the it's in the 40k wiki, and it's like the first thing it says, and it's from Inquisitor Bronislaw Sevak, who you might know or our listeners might know, but that he says there's a cancer eating at the Imperium. With each decade, it advances deeper, leaving drained, dead worlds in its wake. This horror, this abomination has thought and purpose which functions on an unimaginable galactic scale and all we can do is try to stop the swarms of bioengineered monsters it unleashes upon us by instinct we have given the horror a name to solve our fears we call it the tyranid race but if it is aware of us at all it must know us only as prey and That's i thought it. like i thought like isn't that a great paragraph like yeah it knows we exist but ultimately it doesn't care we are just like another food source that's exactly what it said, what you said yeah. about being like you can't negotiate with them like you talk you talk about the other races within the 40 gay universe yeah. like okay the, various degrees of successful negotiations but at least they're sentient enough to know that we want to maybe try at some point <laughs> like you know that they, they just are not even aware of that as, yeah, as, a, as like, an option like the El the Eldari or what um were, were used to be called the Eldar and now they've kind of I suppose for copyright reasons adjusted the name and called them the Eldari. But the oh, Eldari are your kind of hyper advanced ancient race of space elves that um have strong psychic powers and are mm. a dwindling race who were the most dominant race in the universe at one point, but now they're a shadow of their former selves and they look at the newer races in the galaxy with disdain and mm. uh, see us as kind of vermin that have spread beyond our mm. means. But mm. they would still, on occasion, work with humans. Um, you know, they might uh, attack us for no reason, but they might also help us against more uh, greater existential threats. Um, mm -hmm. The forces of chaos, um, they corrupt humans. They're kind of the evil humans and demons of the universe. So, like, they whisper promises of power and glory to corrupt humans and try and swing mm -hmm. them onto their side. There's a mm -hmm. dialogue there. Even the orcs who just love wah and invading <laughs> and evading and bashing things. They love a good scrap and crumping people. They can still yeah. talk and at times... Yeah communicate and they can like accept mm. surrenders and put humans mm. to work as slaves and things like that but the yeah. tyranids there's just they're going to eat you yeah and they're yeah. not going to stop throwing creatures at you until you're dead yeah and your food and that's uh, it uh, and that's it and i think you actually touched a little bit when you mentioned talking about the aldari and, and and psychic energy i wanted to that is another thing i picked up on that i suppose maybe hadn't thought of in the past is like how they communicate is this great psychic network 
Uh, yeah. And again, I'm, trying to, I'm pulling up stuff here that I'm trying to remember what I read and stop me if I'm wrong, but ultimately they're all interconnected. So that's yeah. as, as terrifying as they already are, they also are able to send you know messages across space and time like instantaneously. And if one Tyranid knows something, they all know it to a certain degree. Is yeah. it, isn't that correct? And that's, and that's it. So they have the the larger leader creatures or leader leader bioforms and um, mm. things like your hive tyrants and your um mm. um tropes and th these different mm. characters they they project a synapse link like mm. so like synapses of a brain and that's the yeah. hive mind so when even your basic termagant which is like one of the lowest forms your grunt and mm. um, mm even when they are within a certain radius of a leader creature, they fall under its synapse um, area of effect. Mm -hmm. And they just instantaneously, like you said, just do what needs to be done. There's no yeah. communication of orders. It's like instinctual, yeah. like you say. So yeah. Did you get that? I didn't, I didn't quite catch that. <laughs> you know, there's no like delay or lag or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so does that does that mean then and i'm i'm sure maybe i'm i'm saying something stupid here but i'm assuming that means then when when other races are trying to kill them like those synapse links are are like high priority targets when it comes to like winning or or pushing back terrorism. absolutely so yeah. e even even um when they can eliminate say the synapse link or network by mm. taking out key leader figures you still have swarms of these um dangerous creatures yeah revert to their animalistic instincts which is maybe just to uh go for the nearest target as opposed yeah. to going for the most tactically um important target but yeah they're still dangerous but you can kind of outwit them then at that point but yeah. when they are being led by their synapse creatures particularly their hive tyrants there's one mm. that's particularly known for adapting to battlefield situations called the swarm lord mm. and the swarm lord like sounds like a, a a character almost but the thing is mm. when the tyranids are successful and they've finished killing all opposition on a planet mm. they just themselves wander into these digestion pools to be dissolved and reassimilated into the mm. into the mm. ships and then any creature that kind of developed a particularly useful skill that sort of is incorporated into their dna to be mm. spawned the next time but it's not like yeah. the swarm lord being a great leader lives on as some sort of commander there's been loads of swarm lords it's been dissolved yeah. and um reproduced and sent out to conquer planets and then yeah, yeah. It, it, it's digested and dissolved again and like yeah, yeah. so it's like even even if you're the most badass tyranid you're still food yeah. yourself so it's uh, it's very much a, a a communist uh sort of approach to, to <laughs> world domination to, to galactic domination really there's nobody yeah is above and beyond anybody else. Obviously you have more like more important roles. And sorry, that triggered a question for me actually earlier on. You mentioned like the lowliest termagant. Termagant, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah. yeah. Do they do you have a, an opportunity as a tyranid to like move up the ranks? Like no. or, or is no, if you're a termagant, you're a termagant forever. Is That's that it? it. There's no okay. and there's no even concept of progression or anything like that. There's okay. there's uh, I'm just thinking like a career progression meeting. Yeah. Yeah. No, what have you contributed it. today? Well, I've I've massacred a severe like a large population of people. I've, 
<laughs> so things like that might see you go up the ranks in every other faction in the game and in the universe, okay. but in the tournaments, uh, whatever you are, you are, and um, yeah. you don't exist for too long because even after a successful campaign, you yeah. willing you willingly and instinctually walk into a giant mm. vat of stomach acid um, yeah. and you're dissolved and reabsorbed into the system. So mm. there's no... And everything is controlled like the the hive mind is just this one sentience and um, mm. everything it does, it's just to consume, consume and add more mm. biomass to its growing. Like it's it's got that terrifying snowballing effect and it, you, like myself, are a fan of Game of Thrones and mm. um, like, you know, that, uh, that horrific scene um, where the white walkers attack the wildling village on the port. Yeah. Yeah. This really valiant effort to like fight yeah. them off and evacuate yeah. people. But as the hard home, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And as the Jon Snow and the few survivors kind of uh, get away on a small boat, everyone that they've, all the zombies that they've killed and everyone who is their ally on the wildling side, they all yeah. are risen again. Yeah, control of the White Walkers, and that's yeah. that zombie effect is something that the the Tyranids have because, mm. like, even if you put up the most valiant defense as an Imperial Guardsman and like mm. you, you slaughter millions of these beasts, and yeah. ultimately, even if you only lose narrowly, if you lose, you've lost everything yeah. because yeah. now everything that you killed is reabsorbed, yeah. and all your yeah. buddies beside with you are reabsorbed. And so yeah. the next planet now has to contend with not only the size of, of a high fleet that attacked you, yeah. but all the biomass and DNA mm. and matter that they've absorbed yeah. is now being used on the next planet. Yeah. And any fancy shenanigans that you pulled off that might have worked and been effective against them, mm. the Tyranids have now evolved and they're aware of that. That trick won't yeah. work on them again. So, yeah, um, yeah they're scary. Yeah, terrifying. It's it. Well, that's it, and it's like it's just more fuel for the fire. And then, and and we yeah. talked about the um shadow of the warp. Like that's like whatever about like having an actual sort of uh, I don't know what you'd call it, like psychic energy. Like that would also be very demoralizing. Just knowing that, like you know, if you yeah. uh, but. Well, it'd be right in saying a lot of planets wouldn't have known what the Tyranids were when when they were being invaded, or like when you're you know we talk about your. 20 years of experience and reading books and things like that are, are is 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 a lot of that like oh we know they're coming we know what how to beat them or is it like oh we've so, never seen these before so as you as we were talking about earlier like when they were first discovered um they were thought of as like a very localized sort of threat and it was only this kind of um discovery of like barren rocks floating in place of where you know, vibrant planets uh, once existed, and um, mm. where areas have got of of the um, galactic east went quiet for um, a few years without any contact, and then upon a fleet going to kind of make contact again, just just like rock floating in space, no planets there anymore, no sign of what passed through. So mm. as this became like um, an increasingly um, recurring phenomenon uh the ultramarines um 
who are one of the biggest space marine chapters and go date back to one of the founding chapters go dating back to the horse oh, no, no no spoilers for future episodes <laughs> <laughs> well the, 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 the ultramarines are like the blue space marines you see on the box cover of, of the <laughs> modern I, I'd, I'd like to believe everyone listening to this podcast knows what the ultramarines are at this oh, point yeah, like yeah, even, yeah, even, yeah. even somebody who's curious about, about warhammer 40k <laughs> has probably seen a picture somewhere that's it that's it so they they kind of react first to the um the invasion of the very first massive high fleet or uh, behemoth and behemoth starts um swarming through the ultramarine controlled area of space so they have um an area of space called ultramar which is part of the imperium but it's usually under the protection of the ultramarines and their successor chapters and even the imperium is an awful kind of sort um a pseudo fascist state that mm. basically people have no rights um like when you look at the uh, how horrific the Imperium is, you start to wonder: Are we much better than the Tyranids? Because basically, mm. as a as a individual human, you're just fuel for the Imperial machine yourself. So you're not too different to a Termagant. But I suppose, unlike a Termagant, you can advance, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah. depending on the circumstances of your birth and your station and everything else, you can kind of mm. rise to power within the organizations mm. of the Imperium. And like it's it's yeah. like any human faction, but it's just like it's awful. Like there's no like concept of human rights everything's like a harsh military regime and there's like deep suspicion and there's no sort of notion of advancing science and progress everything's kind of like um run on pre-existing technology that's now revered as kind of religious artifacts but Mm. the imperium um the, the one part of the imperium that kind of has reasonable human treatment is ultramar uh, because the ultramarines were kind of the paragons of developing human society mm. but even mm. that's a quite harsh place to live but anyway the tyranids start eating planets eating planets and the space marines start to fight them and they meet them in places like Icar 4 and the, these other planets and they realize this threat isn't just like a simple orc invasion um which is terrifying mm. in its own right this is something worse um once they take a planet we can't take it back later they're going to eat everything on it and leave it like a, a dead asteroid so we have to we have to do something so they start like calling back all their companies and they realize that behemoth is heading for their home planet mccrag and the ultramarines basically under marnius calgar who is the chapter master of the space marines the, uh, of the ultramarines leads this like epic defense like every military resource he has at his disposal not just the space marines but all the planetary defense forces and astro militarum regiments and um everyone that he can get fights against this and it's still not enough uh behemoth land all their fighting organisms onto the planet and slowly but surely start pushing the space marines back the battle in orbit's not going too well either. And the Ultramarines basically, their first company defend their polar fortress, which is vital to the um, 
the space battle as well because it's shooting down some of these giant mm. hive ship, ships mm. but it's now under attack on the ground by swarms and swarms and so there's this epic kind of last stand of all the first company which is all the terminators and the big um mm. elites the, the elite of the elite the space marines and they're holding the fortress for without help for like days on end and when the space battle finally turns and they're able to get some relief to the ultramarines in the polar fortress they're dead to a man just surrounded by piles upon piles of dead tyranid bodies but mm. uh, they're, they're all dead to a man themselves and eventually i think um if i'm not mistaken it took an imperial navy ship I, I think i don't i don't mean to interrupt i don't want to interrupt you Con, but we were talking about like how this podcast can evolve and move steps. I think this could be a good topic for our next podcast. I think, okay. I think before you dive into like where, you know, I'm conscious of time here. I don't, I mean, let's be honest, we don't know how long we're going to chat for, but mm. I, I want to leave the audience wanting a little bit more. And I, and mm. I feel like I'm this, this could be a nice little segue into episode two. I'm not saying we stopped now, but I'm saying without spoiling the ending of the, cause because as my mind is ticking over as you're telling the stories, like I want to know a little bit more about the ultramarines and you know this this siege and <laughs> you really painted that picture of of everyone dead to a man and piles of of uh, you know I'm, I'm sure our audience are just imagining this like last heroic stand, but I think it could be a good topic. What what do you think, or or, or do you um, want to continue with? Yeah, this well, I suppose I'll 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 shoot on. So basically, um. Uh, behemoth is stopped but at great cost and mm. then the imperium and marnius calgar think okay well we've stopped one of the greatest um threats to the very existence of not only the imperium but life sentient life in the galaxy yeah and um, pat on the back lads we've suffered a lot but you know we we, we, we beat <laughs> yeah, them up we did it. And, yeah but then it emerges that you know uh, even though they defeated Behemoth, all these splinter fleets came off with um, uh, hive ships and uh, attacking other planets, you know, in other places. Mm. And then it emerges as time goes on that Behemoth was just the tip of a very, very large iceberg. <laughs> and a few years later, another hive fleet, hive fleet Kraken, attacks the mm. Imperium as well. And... Yeah where Behemoth used a lot of kind of big monstrous creatures, Kraken mm. starts to evolve a lot quicker in its invasion of um, mm. the uh, Imperium. So again, Kraken is defeated at great cost to not only the Imperium, but also like <laughs> the Ildari craft world of Iandon uh, was pretty much um, wiped out. And that's why um, in... In, I, when Iandon goes to war now, they use a lot of ghost warriors because when an Eldar is killed, their soul mm. is kept in spirit stone and that could be put onto these automated constructs to yes. fight for the craft in the future. And Iandon mm. has a high proportion of those because they were nearly wiped out by Kraken. So you can see that this threat isn't just to humanity, it's to anything that's in the Tyranid path. But mm. then, even though Kraken is stopped, it was only the tip of an even bigger <laughs> iceberg. And I feel like this is a story device that, yeah. you know, it's like, it's a good excuse to never have enough or never not have a bad guy ready to or a go-to yeah. bad guy when they run out of ideas. We're yeah. Like, Guess so, what, guys? That last iceberg was just the tip of another iceberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this, and this is where we are now. So the game of Warhammer 40,000 is now in its 10th edition. 
And usually every time they launch an addition, the, there's a starter set and it's usually Space Marines fighting some villain. And so mm. like when I, the first time I got a, the third edition starter set was Space Marines against Dark Eldar. And then it was Space Marines against Chaos Space Marines. Space Marines against, mm. before that was Space Marines against Orcs. And mm. uh, ninth edition was Space Marines against Necrons, who mm. were these kind of like um, skeletal robot zombies that uh, want mm. to wipe out all sentient life. With kind of an, an Egyptian sort of twist. Yeah. And then 10th edition, the Tyranids are back. And this time, their high fleet is called Leviathan. And Leviathan is the third of these giant high fleets. It's already attacked the Imperium. But what's different is Behemoth and Kraken kind of attacked from the galactic east of the galactic plane. Mm -hmm. But what Leviathan is actually doing is coming down like a set of jaws from the on top and from below the galactic plane. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. somehow, even though they were experienced in different sections of the galaxy, they now seem to be coming from the Galactic West, which was always thought to be, um, you know, mm. be, uh, not the direction that they come from and a relatively yeah. stable part of um, human control space. And this is paint, starting to paint a picture that the, the Tyranids iceberg might be a set of teeth clasping yeah. down the entire galaxy from all directions so okay. leviathan is the big bad now and yeah. it's very scary yeah that's a good segue actually i think uh into sort of where we wanted to go next and like you know how tyranids are represented in in games and 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 whether it be computers or tabletop and things like that um i do think you know if I jumped the gun a little bit, what our next topic would be is I had thought about, you know, in my in my homework for this episode, like the um, destruction of Baal was a was um, uh, uh, an invasion of a Blood Angels chapter home planet, if I remember correctly. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, you know who, and I thought that you know which might be that was. Is that Leviathan? Leviathan? Am I... It's Leviathan. Oh, it is it? Okay. Well, 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 then what I think maybe is a good next step, because I'm just conscious of our time and what we want to get through on, on this podcast. I think maybe that could be our next sort of topic. I'd like to do a bit more digging into that. What do you think? Oh, I'd love that because um, my, <laughs> my, 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 the Space Marine chapter I first collected before I okay. collected one of my own was the Blood Angels. And oh, excellent. Okay. Baal is the Blood Angels' home planet. And okay. the, the, the devastation of Baal. Um, whoa, 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 spoilers. Spoilers. Is, oh, no, 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 I'm not giving anything, but it's the title <laughs> of a book. Title of a book by, by, by I'm, I'm joking. It, it, yeah, it goes into great detail. But anyway, yeah. that was Leviathan. And yeah. in the aftermath of that, uh, the Imperium thought that at great cost, it had finally mm. blunted the assault of Leviathan. Mm. But guess what? Yeah. Oh, that was only the start of Leviathan. It was so. another tip of another spear. Yeah. <laughs> it was a trident, if you will. Yeah, a trident of icebergs that are the yeah. much giant iceberg. Yeah. So yeah. um yeah, no, it is um it's it's terrifying now. The scale and scope of how dangerous and big Leviathan is is yeah. only starting to be fully appreciated yeah. by the Imperium yeah. now. And it's yeah. they're definitely the there's a lot of big bads in the world of 40k. Yeah. There's yeah. forces of chaos. There's the Necrons, but the Tyranids are probably the most terrifying mm. big bad of the whole lot of them because they just seem to be without end. And absolutely, uh, there's, there's, yeah. 
it, it just so, yeah no like, that's him so yeah you asked him. no like it just kind of you were asking about how it, yeah go ahead you go ahead sorry i was gonna say you were asking about um how they are represented on tabletop or in game yeah. So you said um, at the start of the episode that one of the things that interested you and intrigued you about the Tyranids was that you first came across them um, playing Conquest, uh, mm. the card game. So how did you feel that they were represented when you cast your mind back to them? What was that appeal to you? Yeah, like, as, as again, I'm, I'm, I want to be careful that, like, maybe our audience won't really know warhammer conquest that well to us it was it was the greatest card game that was ever made but to a lot of people yeah. it might have passed them by but ultimately their their sort of core mechanic was you chose a hive mind uh you know leader card and there were several yeah. different flavors of that leader card oh no sorry you chose a leader card but then you also chose a can't remember what sign up synapse creature who was your kind of mm. sort of man on the ground if you will in terms of capturing yeah. planets and then obviously then you also had the token mechanic where you had these smaller cards that were you know generate little little one ones if you will you know one attack one health that were just there to kind of soak up bullets and soak up resources yeah. of your opponent which you know was very thematic as as to what they are um and I've seen what the armies look like on the tabletop version, and I'm sure you're going to confirm for me, but that's exactly how they probably work on the tabletop version. Like you, did you ever collect a Tyranid army or or no. or, or fight against Tyranid armies? I have fought. I've I've fought against the Tyranids, uh, <laughs> a veteran yeah. of uh, anti-Tyrannic warfare, <laughs> but um, yeah. they 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 are tough. And just as you described, one of the things that like has been really well done with the game mechanics, even when it's Warhammer 40,000 itself, or as you referred to in Conquest, is this idea of they can swarm you with lots of little creatures, but they also have terrifying big um, monster organisms that are really tough, like Carnifexes and um, Lictors and these other beasts that they even have like Titanic-sized beasts as well. And the thing is, you would obviously want to train your big guns on the big monsters, but there's also mm. swarms of these smaller uh, grunt-level creatures attacking mm. you. So it's that whole... They have that whole play style of they've got big, scary monsters that... Um, you can't even focus on because you're up to your eyeballs in um, in these one one creatures like that you that you were talking about. So mm. um, uh, hormigants and termigants and they're they're swarming everywhere. There's ripper swarms. These like tiny little kind of ch uh, ch they're basically jaws on small little snakes <laughs> with hard backs, and they just swarm yeah. along the ground, eating everything in their path. And it's like you're trying to like use flamethrowers and everything else to keep these back but mm. all the time that you're occupied with them these giant creatures are moving into position and then they just yeah. after everything yeah. um, but then like yeah they basically assault you in every sense because they've got strong psychic creatures they can um they've got a mechanic in 10th edition where they can basically resurrect dead termagants so to mm. represent just waves upon waves of these um um creatures attacking you so yeah they just have like what's nice i suppose for a tyranid player is that you can decide 
what play style appeals to you and sure. there's 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 definitely an, an army list that can appeal to that so like you know yeah. in some editions of the game people just got big carnifex monsters that were hard to kill and just ran maybe you know six to ten models but then other people would run swarms and have like hundreds of models on the table and yeah. you can do both extremes or everything in between yeah. and it works were they an expensive like because i'm always like you know one of the main barriers for me for 40k the tabletop was you know it's not a cheap hobby and i have to imagine the more models you need to make your army the more expensive this hobby becomes so yeah, yeah. my mind's like anyone who runs tyranids is secretly very wealthy <laughs> is I mean, fun, funny is enough, a, um, that's a symbol oh he's a tyranid player he must be on a bell. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> funny enough they're actually not the worst and um, they're not the best see this is probably one of the reasons that space marines and the adeptus custodies are so popular in games because they're very elite forces so mm. you know uh, comparatively speaking a small number of models is going to be your entire army and yeah. then of course like swarm armies in general are going to be a little bit more expensive now there is like you know, 10 guardsmen will probably be the same price as five terminators for the space marines. So like yeah. the, the more mod like the more models an army needs in general, the kits might be a little cheaper. But I think okay. actually tied in with the Tyranids are the Gene Stealer cults. So mm. these are humans that become sort of infected by Tyranid Vanguard organisms and mm. start secretly worshipping the Tyranids. Um, okay. and can actually kind of cause rebellions and revolutions just at the time that a Tyranid fleet is about to attack. So that okay. that puts off the defenders of a planet more because they're dealing with yeah. resurrection uh, or insurrection rather uh, in their yeah. own populace while yeah. looking to this threat coming from the stars. Yeah, so yeah. Um, they're actually an expensive um faction to collecting game because they require a lot of kind of chaff infantry and mm -hmm. the kits aren't as cheap where okay. tyranids i think there's a few box sets where you can get like you know a few kits like combat patrols and things like that where you can get a good few kits um i think if you're to collect an army you can do so reasonably economically but if you mm -hmm. want to collect like a really effective army they can mm. like like any faction they can get quite yeah. expensive but yeah but the nature of the I suppose. look this is it it's the nature of the game but again uh, uh the painting part as well you also have to be re ready to paint a lot more models i assume too yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna have well, a tyranid army well one of the products that has come out recently from a few different companies is these um speed paints so okay. Games Workshop brought out a line of paints, a quite revolutionary line of paints called Contrast um, mm. a few years ago. I think it was 2019. And the way Contrast paints work is like they're, they're like very highly pigmented washes. Mm. So when you run them over a, a white or light gray primed model, the darker pigment settles into all the grooves and it's quite lighter on the raised edges of the model. So basically yeah. it looks like what in the classic method would have taken three steps of painting, your base paint, your shades, mm. and then your highlights. Contrast mm. paints kind of do that with slapping on one coat 
and the, oh, kind wow. of the, the nature of the paint itself achieves that finish um and so like the other companies then like the army painter have their line of speed paints that do the same thing and it's kind of means if you have loads of tyranids now with these paints you can just like wash it all on and 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 depending on how how high quality you want you could actually paint them quite quickly um Mm. because they are just like a churning mass of chitin and claws and teeth so yeah they they don't have any much individual flair i suppose like they are very much you know like uh we are legion kind of approach uh okay yeah i thought about that and uh we're not looking for sponsors yet but hopefully in the future when we're looking for sponsors whoever makes that paint can uh, maybe they'll hear it someday and happy to give your brand a shout out yeah (laughs) yeah well army the army painter uh are the ones i use both i um used games workshop contrast paints because they were the first ones that came out but the army painter have um the army painter are a cool company because they basically mm. they, they make lots of hobby products obviously paints but also like brushes mm. and um kind of bases and things like that but one sure. of their main things was they brought out speed paints to try and compete with the contrast paints and the first set that they brought out there was kind of a few issues with it but they really engage with the kind of hobby community and they took all the feedback mm. and they developed a new line called Speed Paints 2.0. And mm. they resolved all the issues with the first batch. And now, like, they're really good paints. And some people would argue that they're every bit as good, if not better, than the Games Workshop yeah. uh, ones, but also at a more uh, affordable price entry. So, yeah, yeah no. <laughs> You're really opening my mind to, like, corners of the internet and corners of the of the hobby like, <laughs> hobbyists and hobby like these are these aren't people i would have known do i are you are, do i know other hobbyists that i'm not aware of column or are you the only one i think i think i might be the <laughs> um the, the only one that you know uh, that, uh there is there is uh we, we, there we are, are dozens of you we, we exist there. Yeah, <laughs> there, there, there are untold dozens of us <laughs> yeah so um and um, well that's that's the tyrannids anyway like amy if you were collecting them you could decide yeah. that like you want to paint mm. them really well but you could if you wanted kind of yeah. you know do it get, do, do it a bit quick. of a batch job and yeah. get them out yeah yeah yeah, yeah for sure but, but my my experience yeah. of tyrannids would have been playing like the likes of dawn of war 2 or um I know the new Space Marine game, I think is, is I think Space Marine 1 was around, or you fought orcs, but I think Space Marine 2, uh, I don't know, I can't even remember sure if that's come out yet, but I am excited to play that game. But yeah, like, you I've essentially seen need, like, and it is yeah, it looks really cool. Yeah. Um, and um, again, Dawn of War 2, one of my favorite games of all time. You know, nothing more satisfying than getting a big heavy flamer or heavy bolter, putting down your like cone of Overwatch, and like just standing back, getting in behind some cover and just like, you know, laser beaming down like hundreds and hundreds of these Tyranids that run towards you. But like in the game, it's terrifying. Like, you, you know, you, you, hundreds and thousands of these things just like literally swarming towards you. I know it's fantasy and I know it's like, you know, you're standing up in the clouds as this like armchair general, but like imagine that, imagine being on the ground and imagine facing that and like knowing your goose like so just yeah. like yeah. no amount of success means like you're going to win you're, yeah you're just yeah goose. 
And that's why um, we give a shout out at all times to the lost guardsman, the the trooper on the ground, because even when you're dealing with like a basic termagant, the lowliest of the tyranid bioorganisms, it's the same size, if not bigger than a human. So it's like a six legged uh, creature with an organic gun growing out of its chest and (laughs) rows of sharp teeth. And that's their most basic grunt everything else they have yeah. is bigger deadlier and um, <laughs> awful like so that's part yeah. of the terror i suppose as well like yeah absolutely yeah. So, um yeah okay so, so i i think we've covered a, a decent amount of uh info on tyranids i'm sure look it, more turn info will probably crop up in in future podcasts to come but i know you wanted to touch on um a mordheim campaign that you're currently yes at the moment. yes so uh, um talking about general hobbyists and hobbying yeah. Yeah. um this is something you've invited me to and i'm hoping to get down and we'll play some games together but go on tell yeah. tell tell our listeners a little bit about this mordheim and where it came from and what it is and so yeah. you could you could say that our discussion on the tyranids today was just the tip of the iceberg. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there, there'll be plenty more where that came from, but yeah, we'll we'll go on to um, uh, the Mordheim campaign. So as I mentioned at the start of the episode, like Mordheim is um, one of my f- the first games I ever played, and I hadn't mm. played it since I was a beginner uh, twenty five years ago, and. Um, Loved it at the time, got into 40,000 with its like big scale battles and things like that. But what was special about Mordheim is Mordheim set in the fantasy setting of the old Warhammer fantasy battles world. Mm-hmm. So it's set in the old world and it's um, what I love about it is it's got this low fantasy idea. So Mordheim is a city uh, in the year 1999 of the setting, which coincidentally was also the year that it came out um okay, in, in okay. real life and the people of mordheim see a twin-tailed comet flying across the sky and they think it's an uh, a symbol of sigmar their god and so they start partying in in the streets and it's like this uh, great cosmic phenomenon that's going to bring good tidings and some of them then start thinking oh maybe it's the end of the world so we just go out and party till <laughs> party till we drop basically and uh, sure enough the uh, comet ends up smashing into the city and obliterating everybody but the comet itself was made up of this mysterious um rock called warp stone or weird stone and um it has mystical properties and it's highly valuable it can turn lead into gold can heal the sick um but what people don't realize, it also has a lot of like um, evil side effects. It can make you sprout tentacles or become a monster, basically. So it's a kind of a tainted material, but it's hugely valuable. Obviously, that whole turning base metals into gold makes it hugely valuable. Um, so different factions start to enter the city to find as many shards of this smashed comet and the weird stone that they can. Um, and a lot of the different factions have different motivations so a lot of human mercenaries are going into the city to get rich but more sinister factions like chaos cultists are looking for the shadow lord who exists at the impact site of the um comet Mm -hmm. and he's just um 
they don't know does he actually exist or is he kind of a creature of my question was does he actually exist i was just going to ask you that yeah so um i might tell you a bit more about that at the end of the year because uh, it might tie into our campaign but yeah Mm. it's a great so like say for this campaign so i was talking to a good friend of mine josh and uh we were playing f warhammer kill team uh, during the summer and i was just um kind of kit bashing converting some um low fantasy explorers for Mordheim just because I thought the setting was cool and I thought the game was so old that I'd never play it again um I just thought for aesthetically I was going to just create this like warband of normal human mercenaries um with swords and axes and clubs and crossbows that sort of thing and Josh uh, saw what I was working on he goes oh they from Mordheim I love Mordheim I'd love to play Mordheim again and I was kind of like okay why don't we why don't we get a few people involved? And it's such a narrative game. It's it's brilliant. It was never really a balanced kind of tournament sort of game, but it's just got such mm. a great setting. It just lends itself to narrative campaign playing because yeah. um, we decided that we're going to make 2024 the year of Mordime and we're going to play this campaign. And just last week we had our first meetup um, and there's about 14 people, including yourself, that have signed up to mm. be part of the campaign mm. we had seven show up that day so it's mm. kind of starting to grow but everyone had a great time and um uh what what we are intending to do is that every month a different sector of the city will be up for grabs by whichever team meet the win condition of that particular month so this month mm. we're all fighting over the tavern section and the reward <laughs> for the team that wins is that each one will get each member of that team will get a barrel of Bugman's Ale for their warband. And Bugman's <laughs> Ale is very famous, a very famous beverage within the setting, but it also is an in-game item that you can use uh, for your warband. Okay. So, so nice. it, it, it's, it's narrative, but it also yeah. uh, has an in-game effect. And yeah. every month there's going to be some such reward like that. And um, the idea is at the end of the year, then maybe in towards the end of the year, December is always busy for people. So maybe in November, we'll have like one last kind of campaign day just. um, And in the meantime, every month we'll have a different area up for grabs with a different prize connected to it. And we see Mm. how the uh, warbands are getting on. Like uh, already um, one of my champions, and I only have two of them. He's lost an arm. I won my I won my first battle, but uh, the guy uh, yeah. Ty, the great guy that I um, played against, um, when we rolled for our injuries after the game, he actually came off much better. Um, most yeah. of his uh, most of his uh, fighters, his warrior nuns that were taken out of action, the worst <laughs> that happened to most of them is now they hate my warband, particularly my leader <laughs> because he shot them in the face. <laughs> where my guys that got injured like end up like losing limbs or one guy uh, end up being sold to the fighting pits so it's already <laughs> developing a narrative of its own nice nice and so i think that's what, that's what it. No, it's, a good. Lot of... it's good that's that's what i feel like it appeals uh, to me as well as that sort of campaign mentality you know that 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 you know your battles matter the next time around and things like that i suppose you know kind of the opposite of, yeah. of 
Warhammer 40k tabletop, you know, you take your armies away and then you start again fresh the next battle. But the fact that your warbands yeah. evolve and change and grow, I think that's yeah. it's a really cool. And our our it's listeners don't know this, but you've 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 written a really cool narrative around the start of this as well. And I'm 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 excited to see where it goes. And uh, um, you've you've gotten together a lot of people. It sounds like that you know played this game as younger people and loved it and have just jumped at the opportunity to to play this game that came out uh what are we talking about 20 years ago nearly now at this point 25 years ago yeah, yeah that's right a, wow, it was 1999 yeah. 25 years ago that is bananas that's crazy to me you've just yeah. you've just blown my mind Colin. Um, yeah but that's, been talking that's about um, that, sorry i was just gonna say that's uh where it's at so some people are like myself and played this when it originally came out and some people are just curious and they like skirmish games and and mm. um, they're kind of they, they're aware of the setting and they think it's cool and they're getting into it but they are only getting into it for the first time so we have a bit of a mix and one yeah, of those newbies yeah. of course roger is yourself because um yeah. i have um actually in front of me in my hobby room here i have your war band set out and ready to be painted um and you're going to be playing mm. the undead so um yeah uh, yeah so you're going to have a vampire and a necromancer and some ghouls <laughs> and zombies and, yeah yeah, That's yeah classic it, me it, fashion i'm not playing as the, the the bog standard humans i have to play as some sort of monster or weird beast thingies i love that i love that yeah um uh, cool well good. look I, I i think this has been a great first episode um i think i enjoyed doing some research on the tyranids and and topping up the info that i already kind of knew i'm excited mm -hmm. now to look at the devastation of Baal for episode two um mm -hmm what i don't know any any messages you want to pass on to our audience and, and why, why should our audience want to listen to this podcast moving forward colin well i suppose um uh, as you said um it's very overwhelming maybe for a beginner to look at all the 40k lore and everything that exists and i think between the two of us you've got a good balance of being one of these people who's kind of starting to put your foot in the door and I'm one of these people that's been sitting in the dark room for many years. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, yeah. So then I guess that it's, um, you know, you're, I'm going to start going, talking about like storylines and lore that I'd probably go off on tangents and go mad into. And you're going to be the new person who can say to me, well, actually hang on there that's a lot of information already so let's reel it back in let's reel it back <laughs> in there so I think, I, I think um the experienced gamer will probably be able to you know identify what i'm talking about and maybe even fact check mm. me if necessary but mm. then mm. also then for the new person um you know they're going to hear us and they're going to maybe get into lore in a more manageable bite-sized way and mm -hmm. you know um we did have a bit of a following when we did a podcast years ago and uh, uh, maybe it'll appeal to some people, I guess. So at the very least, I get to chat to you for an hour every now and again, uh, which, which <laughs> we, we have sort of fallen down on doing. So at the very least, I get to talk to a friend of mine uh, yeah. on the regular. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. Well, look, everybody, thank you very much for listening. So uh, this has been the last guardsman. Go ahead, Colin, one more thing. So I was just going to say, yeah, so we next week uh, we're going to talk about the devastation of Baal and the Blood Angels.
our next yeah. episode yes yeah. next episode so, let's 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 not put a timeline on this <laughs> no, no, no. of course uh, very cool. good all right everybody thanks for your time talk to you later